Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll Be Syndicated. It's a podcast about... A podcast about TV. TV? <laughs> I think that intro is going to be my brain until I'm dead. Oh, like, me I too. Like, I could recite it. <laughs> <laughs> me too. In fact, uh, it's so in my brain that I turned it into a version of the podcast intro for The Phantom Lawrence. So, hello, it's 2020, but we're going to stick into that 2019 bubble just for, for an hour or less of your time is my mm-hmm. hope and guess. Yep. I'm I'm hoping I would certainly like to go to bed at a reasonable hour tonight. <laughs> Fair enough. So Megan and I are going to talk about our top media of the year. We've each picked three, like top three, and then we're doing honorable mentions for TV, film, and books. So let's get into it. We're going to start with film. Yep. Reverse order. Start with honorable mentions. Yep. So my first honorable mention is Rafiki. I wanted to see that very badly. Which I saw as part of the like Outshine Miami Film Festival, where they basically show like all queer movies, mm-hmm. which I'm now part of the like film review committee for, which is like <laughs> so much work. But this I saw, I think back in like April when they did the Miami edition, because they do two, one in Miami and one in Fort Lauderdale. And this I saw, and I think part of why it worked for me, because it it gets kind of criticized as being like, oh, it's very cliche, but like in the summary of the movie that they posted for Outshine, they were like, this is a take on Romeo and Juliet. And so like knowing that going in changes how you view it, right? You're not like, this is cliche and dumb. You're like, I understand what we're doing here. (laughs) Whereas I don't, I don't really know if it's pitched like that. I mean, it must not be because everyone complains about how cliche it is. But like to me, like, yeah, that's a pitch. Like that makes, that's the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Context is important, friends. Right? So Rafiki is the Kenyan movie that came out in 2018 that was actually banned in Kenya when it came out because it's about two queer girls like falling in love and like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Spoiler. Nobody dies. Which Amazing. I think is the right call. Good choices. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. And it's not a situation where like it's not really like a family feud. It's just like them being queer is the issue. It's yeah. not like, you know, it's just like, can't have that. It's beautiful. It's beautifully shot. It's well acted. Like some of the scenes are just like incredible to watch. It's very hard to watch, obviously, because Romeo and Juliet, right? So like, yeah. you know, it's not happy the whole time. So anyway, this is my honorable mention. It's very good. I uh, forgot we were not going to talk about these as much. Anyway, Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, damn, Megan's getting a whole thing. I we're talking about these as much as we had said. <laughs> Anyways, that's our Fiki vibe. I'm going to do one that I think is one of your honorable mentions because it's one of mine, which is... Yay. The Goldfinch. Yes, the Goldfinch Defense Squad. It's me and you and only us. It's only us. And Ansel Elgort, of course. Of course, well, Who I will not defend, actually. Oh, no, I will not. Yeah, so The Goldfinch is an adaptation of Donna Tartt's novel, Walter Prize-winning book from, I think, what, 2018? 2017? It's, like, pretty recent. 16? 16? Yeah, it's, like, soon. Like, Mm -hmm. within the last five years. Very good. Very, very sad. Beautifully shot. Oakes is, he plays younger Theo and he is a complete fucking standout. That movie rests on his shoulders and he does so good. tiny little baby shoulders. His little baby shoulders. I love him. I'm so glad you liked that because I walked out of it being like, wow, I love that. And I am confused why it didn't work for anyone else in all (laughs) of the reviews. And we saw it and it worked for you and I was so happy. It was so funny because... I remember talking to you when you got out of it and you were like, I need you to see this and not read the book first. Like I was going to, I didn't have time. It took me so long to read the book. And you were like, I need you to see this before you read the book because I have no idea if it makes sense if you haven't read the book. And you know what? I think it does. Fuck all of you guys. The goldfinch is good. You guys are just mean. You guys are mean. So my next honorable mention is Hustler. Fair enough. Very good. (laughs) I will not go to the mat for J-Lo to win an Oscar. I don't think. She was good. I don't. She's, she's not great. That good. She's great in it. It's, it's not, not Oscar. To me, great. An Oscar. Worth. I think this movie's beautifully shot. There are some sequences that are just like perfect cinema. I love that it has not a single ounce of male gaze. Constance Wu is very good in it. And I feel like she's not getting as much attention as anyone else in it. My last honorable mention is Little Women. <laughs> I love Little Women. The more I think about it, the more I love it. It's Greta Gerwig's second directorial writing film and while I don't think it works as well for me as Lady Bird I do think it works extremely well I think for a lot of people a lot of people love this movie but also for me in particular having never read Little Women ever and knowing nothing except for Beth's death I was like Beth dies and that's all I know (laughs) thanks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think this movie really works I think there's some stuff that like 
doesn't work as well or like could work better but I think on the whole it works very well and I think her kind of like melding of who Louisa May Alcott is and like who she is as a person and like into Joe as a character just like works. One of the few times I walked out of a movie and then discovered there's a queer reading of it. Oh yeah. I was shocked. I did not that did not happen to me at all and then I was like oh Interesting. That's so funny. Did not. I was read instantly that way. like, people think Joe is gay, right? Because she she gay. I did. So that's I fun. literally did not walk out with that. I was like, every cool. every meme of just like either her doing the crying like women or like her not accepting Lori's proposal, and she's like, I just don't know why, and it's like, oh no. Okay. Well, the first thing I saw of it was like the shots of her like in parts of Lori's wardrobe. Like, the, like, best and it's stuff. So and I good. was like, I don't understand what this means. Like, I was sitting there like, what does it mean? It's and so then good. all of a sudden I was like, oh. <laughs> Very rare for me to not sit there being, like, gay. Harold, gay, right? they're lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I really needed an old lady to sit next to me and tell me that, honestly. Uh, let's get into our actual top three. So, bottom up. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Cool. Bottom no. up. Let's go. Let's Number go three. Next. Number three, Vita and Virginia. Still need to see it. I think it's great. Another movie where I read reviews and I'm like, people don't like this as much as me and I can't figure out why. It's just so damn good. It's directed by a woman. It's gay. Again, a movie I saw during the Outside Film Festival. Not the last on this list also. And I ju- it's beautifully directed, beautifully acted. Like, And I had been keeping an eye out for this movie for a while because it had been cast with some other people in it at first. And I was very like, ooh, cool, 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 cool. And then they recast at least somebody. So where it was um, Gemma Arterton and Elizabeth Debicki. Mm-hmm. So good. I loved it. It's very artful. I don't know if it's that people don't like other stuff about it. I don't know. But the, the those letters are gay as hell. And I was very into it. <laughs> Incredible. And again, a movie that has like no male gaze. Like it's just like Joe voice women. Um. <laughs> women. It's incredible. And I, I am sad that it seemingly never got a theatrical run or yeah I wish I I don't know what happened to could it. have seen it I almost got a like I almost got to review it and then did not and it made me extremely sad 10 out of 10 would recommend my number three is Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit something I haven't seen <laughs> I love this movie I think it's great I understand why people don't like it so this is a movie about a young boy who is part of Hitler Youth who it's like the end of the war so like everything is like imploding and the Germans are trying to pretend like it's not and so he he's this precocious child who has an imaginary friend who is Taika Waititi as Hitler it's very funny as you do. it works for me it works and he discovers that his mother is hiding a young Jewish girl in their house and like kind of breaking down the barriers of like, well, why do you believe what you believe? What are you even fucking doing? You're a child. Like, get your shit together. And also really sad stuff happens. I think, while I don't necessarily believe that it's an Oscar worthy performance, I do think this is like the first movie in a long time that made me go, you know, Scarlett Johansson can sometimes act and it's wild. so that's it I love it I think it it works it has like a sort of like Wes Anderson feel to it which Mm -hmm. might also be part of the reason why I like it because my favorite Wes Anderson film is Grand Budapest Hotel which is also about like a Nazi occupied country yeah so I'm like yeah that checks out (laughs) like cool that tracks I think it's funny it's also really heartfelt I cried like a baby twice once was sad I've started crying at sad things Megan (laughs) Oh my it's god. It's starting to happen, yeah. That's so new for you. Uh, one of them was a sad thing, and the other end, I cried at the ending. It was amazing. It was beautiful. Go see Jojo Rabbit, if you can. So my number two is Booksmart. My two! Yay! <laughs> Perfect. Iconic. Number two. It's amazing. 10 out of 10. Would recommend. Honestly, this movie is incredible. I have never felt represented in friendship as much as I have in this movie. Agreed. On a couple different levels, up to and including, like, Loving your best friend so much that you're like, you can't not be here with me. Like, blah. And like freaking out. But I also just like, there's so much about like teenage experience here. The only misstep I think is the teacher thing. Yeah, I'm not into that. That really is not great. That. But there's everything about this movie and like friendship and how friendship works. Even like Billy Lord's character and what's his name being like, she's weird and like, but we're all we have. So like, we're going to stick together. And I'm like, I love them. <laughs> 
me sobbing while they're screaming at each other at that party just oh being God. like it's me and my friends when we were younger because we didn't know how to talk about our feelings until it was too late oh. Ugh, truly i i saw this and then saw like a q a with olivia wilde and one of the writers and one of the producers and first of all I love Olivia Wilde. Man, iconic. <laughs> Sometimes she missteps, and, but usually she's, like, wonderful. She's just, like, white feminism. So you're like, all right, I will take this with grains of salt. However, uh, one of my favorite things was when one of the writers was talking about it, that, like, and and I think this is, like, the crystalline, like, this is part of what makes this movie work so well for me, was, like, her talking about, like, okay, but how do we make it, like, different? Like, talking when they're, like, trying to go through the writing process. Like, how do we make it different? And having the pitch for it be, like, well, but it's 2019. Like, everyone's going to a good school. Everyone is smart. And having that mm-hmm. be, like, the crux of, like, no, but that's that's what it is to be a teenager now. Is, like, everyone is excelling and everyone, like, and that's the whole, like, crux of the movie is, like, we wasted all this time because we thought it could only be one way when, like, yeah. you can be multifaceted even in high school. Fascinating. Love it. Obsessed with it. Great take. I've never, like, felt so attacked as someone who <laughs> did not party, drink, smoke, or do anything in high school. Probably just because I didn't want to. Like, it wasn't like I wanted to and was like, I can't. It was just like, I have no interest in this, which holds true to this day. It felt very, like, wow, realistic, <laughs> as opposed to, like, other teen things that I think just don't get it right. Do you want to, since our number two was the same, do you want to do your number one first or do you want me to? Because I think I know what yours is. You probably do. And I do love it. So you can talk about it if you want. So my number one in the ongoing streak of lady gays. Lady gays. Portrait of a Lady Empire. Amazing. If I had seen this movie in 2019, it would be on my top three for sure. <laughs> I did this see it recently. And it's, so uh, <laughs> Oof, it's so good. It's so good. And I... This is another one that I was like, I know of its existence, I'm very excited for it. And then when they announced it playing at Outshine in Fort Lauderdale, like in in the fall, Mm -hmm. I was like, get my ass in a seat, like I'm seeing this movie. (laughs) This is a movie that was very strange to watch in a theater full of like queer women, which where seeing Vita and Virginia in a theater full of queer women was very like wholesome and wonderful. Like this was a weird experience because like, Mm -hmm. I don't think people like vibed with it the way that I was vibing with it. Um, so there was a lot weird. of like weird reactions to things and I was like, what's happening? But I think this is such a beautiful movie. Again, not a male gaze to be seen, which I am obsessed with. It's so and good. it's just so beautiful. And like the idea of making the poet's choice, not the lover's choice. And like, ah! and the last scene of the like, ah! crying and like the page number. I died. Oh my God. The page it's, number. I'm dead. <laughs> I like, I started crying from the moment you see the painting and she has the page number. And I'm just like, like okay, great. I'm here. <laughs> ah! And then, like, the shot of, like, her face in the mirror right above her crotch. I was like, I'm gonna scream. Do you mind if I fucking scream? What an artful, fucking, beautiful, like, little shot we have going on here. Beautiful, incredible, wonderful, iconic. I also saw it in a pretty, like, crowded... Nobody had, like, weird reactions, but it was, like, one of those weird... Because I saw it for Foam Independent. And so, like, it was, like, pretty crowded. And, like, it was weird because it was, like... 70 to 80% old, probably straight people. And I'm like, what's happening? This is so weird. Always. Because that's, I mean, that's who sees art house movies all the time everywhere. So, you know. Beautiful, though. Also, I don't know. Did I tell, did I, did I make this statement to you that the main girl looks like Emma Watson? Mm -hmm. Because she does and it is wild. And I'm like, wow, if Emma Watson could truly act. I love her in Little Women, but like if she could truly act. It is wild that the director used to date the girl who is the the lady mm-hmm. in the portrait. Well, she's literally her muse. She's been in, like, three of her movies. I know, and I'm just like, this is so wild. I love this. Because they're not dating anymore. They're, they've yeah. been broken up for a while. And I'm like, oh, the gay drama. I live for it. Mm-hmm. And that mm. actress has um, recently come out about a, I think, French director who was, like, sexually assaulting her, which is... No bueno. No good, very bad. Uh, we stand with her. And the French are usually really bad about this kind of shit, so, like, get your shit together, France. But yeah, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. My heart was also on fire. Incredible. Amazing. And, like, the only scene with the music and the singing and the literal actual fire that was happening, I wanted to drop dead of, like, it amazement. <laughs> that shit was so good. I was like, what's happening? Oh, no. Oh, my God. This is amazing. <laughs> and then she's yep. actually on fire. Oh, it's so good. My number one film of the year. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And honestly, even if there's a couple of films, like, I loved The Farewell, I loved Lady of a Portrait on Fire, but I saw those this year. I think even if I had seen those in 2019, this would still be my favorite movie of the year, which was Parasite. Absolutely amazing. Again, also, something I haven't seen, which would probably be in my top three if I'd yeah. seen it. Parasite is... A hell of a movie, guys. <laughs> it is from uh, Bong Joon-ho, who is the director of Snowpiercer. He also directed Mother and The Host. He's a South Korean director, writer and director, and he is absolutely amazing. He's also extremely funny. I love him. He's so like so fun to watch on things and like give mm-hmm. interviews. Um, all of the award season, he's just been taking photos of the cast, just like... it's. <laughs> You're doing amazing, so sweetie. Uh, yeah, so Parasite is the story. It's it's like a... It's not even like a thriller. It's not a horror. It's just like a very tense drama that also has a lot of comedy in it. But it's about this very poor family who slowly and then very quickly starts infiltrating this rich family's house as like servants, essentially. Like the son is first and he becomes a tutor for one of this rich family's kids and then he gets his sister in as like an art tutor and then they get their dad in as a driver and then they get their mom in as like a, a housekeeper and then shit goes wild <laughs> and it's just this really amazing look at like class and money Bong Joon- he said this amazing thing in an interview where he was just like you know it's so wild because I thought that like I didn't think so many people outside of South Korea would like connect with this movie because it feels so inherently South Korean and then I realized that we all live under the same country and it's called capitalism and I was like wow (laughs) okay sir and also like I always forget we went and saw this at like the shitty arc light by our house and like the sound was fucked up like screeching metal terrible noises for about 10 to 15 minutes of the beginning of this film and I literally always forget about it because it was such a good movie <laughs> i was like nah <laughs> this movie's you know. great also it helps that it had subtitles so i didn't actually have to hear it uh to understand what was going on but absolutely amazing i'm so happy that it didn't get nominated in only foreign picture and that it got yeah. nominated for best picture and other things will it win probably not and it will be a true injustice <laughs> all right let's talk about tv yeah I think we're only going to have maybe one thing in common in all of our TVs. I'll start with my honorable mentions. So my first honorable mention is Russian Doll from Netflix. I actually have a lot of Netflix shows on here. That's weird. Russian Doll is great. It is a like Groundhog Day style story where this woman is repeating the same day in her life over and over that ends with her dying. Groundhog Day style. It's her birthday. It's the show about becoming better, which is also like, a spoiler alert, The Good Place is still on my list of top three TV shows from this year. And like, it has the same vibe of like, how do we become better people? And like, how do we learn to treat and be with each other better? Mm -hmm. And it's extremely funny. Natasha Leone is the star and I think she co-created it and writes a lot of it. And it's just superb. My first honorable mention is Marvel's Mrs. Maisel. Fair enough, gotta watch it. <laughs> which was actually on my list last year. I think, I mean, I think season three is, like, just as good as all of the others. It does, it's, it started taking some risks, which I think is kind of incredible to, like, finally be doing some risky things. And I think there, it's, it says so much about it, and it seems, it seems, I don't know if this is intentional, it seems to be taking, like, a hit at white feminism, almost, or, like, at open-mindedness of the time, and, like, how it is not great. <laughs> not as open-minded as it might seem. Uh-huh. Because it introduces Shy Baldwin, which is, like, black, who is a black singer that Midge goes on tour with, and, like, all of the elements there. I think there are some dropped things that I would have liked her to, Amy Sherman Palladino, to do more with, including, like, the woman who plays Paris Geller is on the season and, like, does nothing, which is That's sad. a bummer to me personally, just because, like, I love her. But it just, it does a lot, and the whole internet is clamoring for two things. Um, Gay Susie, which I don't think Amy Sherman will ever do, though she should. And then um, Midge and Lenny Bruce, which again, <sighs> Rachel Brosnahan was like, I begged Amy Sherman Palladino not to have them be together because like women and men can just be friends. And then there's like a, 
a one episode like art like arc of them just having like the most romantic time of their motherfucking lives and i'm like why would you write this fucking episode and then be like but it's not happening you guys like what's wrong with you anyways it's great and also i like i'm a costume hoe and this is like right in my wheelhouse of shit that i would wear so i'm like yes get me in there (laughs) i need to watch it it was so funny and i think i said this last year that um my boyfriend has watched all of it and we, like, me and my boyfriend just and... just about it. Yeah, yeah, well, and our roommate, who is now our roommate, but was just our friend at the time, we all watched the pilot because it had won Emmys or Golden Globes or whatever had happened that mm-hmm. night. So we watched the pilot and we were all like, yeah, that's good. And then my boyfriend went home and watched all of it. And then my roommate and I did not. And <laughs> now my boyfriend keeps up with it and watches it immediately as soon as new seasons happen. And I know that I need to watch it. And I am sorry to you and to him. I'm sorry to that man. (laughs) (laughs) For shame. I know. My second honorable mention is also a Netflix show, and it's Umbrella Academy. I've talked about this show a little bit at some point, briefly. It is an adaptation of a Gerard Way and Gabrielle Ba comic from Dark Horse, and it is like an alt superhero story about a group of kids who grew up together who were all born on the same day as like miracle pregnancies and a guy gathered them all up and like made an Xavier school for gifted youngsters style family (laughs) and uh then he dies and they all come back together as adults to kind of figure out what happened why he's dead and all of this stuff there's time travel the apocalypse is going to happen and they're trying to figure out who causes the apocalypse why what's happening what does time travel have to do with all of this you know (laughs) stuff like that it's good it's good fun lots of gay ellen page is wasted but otherwise everyone else is wonderful okay so my second honorable mention i'm pretty sure is on your list and it's roswell new mexico how was that on your top three i'm shocked we discussed this oh yeah we did (laughs) actually (laughs) where i was like i think i want to be a chaos demon and put something else in instead and you were like it's fine i'll put it on my list instead that's fine. We'll talk more about it when we get to, yes. get to mine. Um, Roswell, New Mexico, reboot of Roswell. That shit's incredible. I'm so glad I made you watch it. Me um, too. <laughs> so good. God. Hits all of the points you would want it to hit. I mean, all you have to it's say so is good. like, there's a good bisexual and he cries. And that's, and like, I'm here. Especially if I'm he's in. a cowboy, I'm in. I'm in. My number three favorite TV show that aired in 2019 was The Good Place. I really love this show. I continue to love this show. There are three more episodes left. I think one is airing tonight. And then there's a two-parter, Mm hour-long finale. And it's goddamn amazing, you know? It's one of those shows, and I think it it was on my top three, I think, last year. And I will say the same thing that I'm sure I said last year, which is every time a new episode happens, and I think that there's going to be, like, a lull and kind of where I'm like, hmm maybe I don't love this show as much this episode or this season. It fucking surprises me. And it's like, no, what if you loved it more somehow? And I'm like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's just great. I love every character. Like, even the demons, they're fleshing out the demons a lot this season. And, like, just the idea of, like, change as a force of good. And that, like, you are not stuck with who you were. You can become something better. You just have to put in effort to do it. And, like, effort is half of the battle. I just think is something worth telling and worth shoving down our faces in a comedy. Mm-hmm. So. If I wasn't being a chaos demon, that would be in my list. <laughs> so my number three is Shadowhunters. Of course it is. <laughs> and if I was being, like, an objective non-chaos demon about this... That would not be on my list, and The Good Place would be somewhere in this configuration instead. However, I am what I am. I mean, it ended, they did a wedding, it was a whole thing. Like, Like, yeah. How was I not gonna do this? Anyway, so Shadowhunters is great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And because, like, Freeform and Netflix are fucking stupid, they, like, were supposed to air the last half of the season at the end of last, like, at the end of 2018, but they ended up pushing it to this spring. So of 2019 so that they could air the full second half of the season and then the two hour finale like right two and a half hour finale like right all jumbled together like within like you know 
a month and a half or however long it took, which like is fine, whatever, it's cool. But they just were like, we're gonna give the gays <laughs> everything they want. And the, I think the funny thing is like with the two and a half hour finale, they basically did like a somewhat open-ended plot point to be like, if for some reason we someone picks us up after this, we have something to do. And I think that yeah. was honestly one of the most interesting things they could have done. Yeah. What a thing to do. I would have been thrilled if it got picked up and we could deal with that some more because it's extremely good. But they gave me like a Magnus Alec wedding, which like, honestly, like they could have given me straight garbage the rest of the season and I would have been so happy by the end that I would not have cared. I would have been like, yep, still my fave. It's so good. But I think they genuinely did very interesting things. They genuinely touched on like things that were important the Maya storyline was great like everything is good even Simon was less annoying they did like stuff with Raphael that I think was interesting like everything came together to just like really finally they like really hit a stride and then they were like I guess we're done now and now everyone's leaving and so even if anyone wanted to which nobody does they could not bring it back because Harry Shum Jr. is doing like 5,000 things what's her name Clary is like on Arrow now and she's like doing things I mean Arrow's and, ending but but I think she's probably gonna end up on one of the like spinoff shows I have a I'm feeling sure, she's yeah. gonna be in the verse so like she's gone now <laughs> everyone is gone so like goodbye side tangent which is on Crisis on Infinite Earth they did so much shit including doing the the wild thing of being like oh yeah the DC films are also in canon in a separate multiverse yes, because Ezra they did. Miller popped up and I was like what are we doing <laughs> what yeah okay that's just wild Shadow Hunters is good I will probably never forget the time that you, you came uh, and stayed with me and we watched that one episode and I was like genuinely I think this show might be good now I don't know what happened <laughs> oh, yeah it was like a random episode and I was like is I don't know good? what's going on <laughs> It's like you were like, be careful with the first season. It's remember, remember when we watched the good episode. <laughs> it does get good. What did I make you watch? Um, Riverdale, which I'll never forget. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a chaos demon. Okay, my <laughs> number two. I mean, uh, truly, I'm a chaos demon because of what my number one is. But I'm okay. My number two is Roswell, New Mexico. Yee. Iconic, so good, so good. I never cared about original Roswell. But I care very deeply about this, and mm-hmm. I love Michael Guerin. I love the straights. I'm like, how? Oh my god, amazing. Literally. How do you <laughs> make me care about it? Incredible. Yeah, I don't know. It's really fucking good, and I care about all of the things. There is one thing that I think could have been done better. Like, the big bad of the season I wish had been... Like, I understand how it basically couldn't have been anyone else, but, like, it's annoying to me that it is who it is. But it's fine, whatever. But yeah, it's incredible. Everything's great. We love it. We have no choice but to stand. <laughs> Truly. We have no choice but to stand and go, hmm, how are we going to get ourselves out of this pickle? <laughs> <laughs> and all the hype of her being like, the network kept asking me if I was sure I wanted to do this in the finale, and I kept saying yes, and I was like, you know what? I understand why they kept asking you. It is a big deal. <laughs> it is a choice you made, and, and I'm into it. I'm in it. So my number two, okay, so the thing, here's the common thread in my number one and number two. I binge them, which is something I never do. That's true. So my number two is Unbelievable. Which I still need to watch very badly. It's incredibly good and very hard to watch. And yet somehow I watched it within a weekend. It was like, I think it's eight episodes. So I just binge the shit out of it, which is number one, unlike me. And number two, very difficult with a show about like sexual assault and rape and like women not being believed the first episode in particular is like really hard to watch because that first episode is basically Caitlin Deaver from Booksmart being attacked and then like having male police officers not believe her and like detectives not believe her and just essentially convince her that she's making it up oh fun and then the rest of the season follows her but also follows other storylines of female detectives encountering women who have been assaulted and doing it the right way and like how much of a difference it makes to have people believe you when you tell them that something bad happened to you like especially in cases like this um and how it all unfolds and like whether or not things get solved and like how to do it Mm -hmm. it's so good and like I keep thinking how I want to watch the last episode again just because of like how it feels when everything comes together it is such a payoff of like all of the shit you have to slog through the first seven episodes to get to the last one and like like culmination of everything is very powerful and like it's obviously based on a real case like after I watched the show I read the article like the whole big article of like the whole case and like how everything went down and like it's just like Joe voice women um (laughs) like the power of women and the it I mean it doesn't have to be women obviously like men 
can exist and believe women it's just less likely and just like the idea of go like the idea of either going to the police about something like this and having them not believe you and essentially convince you that you made it up or having the women come to you and and treat you well and believe you from the start and not ever try to like implant in your brain that maybe you're lying about it like oof, yeah that shit hurt it I have to say it <laughs> did not feel good and like I cried a whole bunch in the first episode coincidentally the first episode is also written by Michael Shaben and his wife and then he went on to show run like the Star Trek show and now he's gonna be working on my Cavalier and Clay show <laughs> can we go an episode without mentioning it I can't I literally can't physically um, cannot but it's a tie-in I made it work my number one I am a pure chaos demon. I don't know that we talked about Fuck it, The Witcher was my favorite show this year. Oh my god, okay. (laughs) Some chaos demon energy in this episode, I love us. I mean, like, I think part of it was just, like, being so mad about Game of Thrones and just being like, wow, bad, Mm, show bad, Mm -hmm. Mm, (laughs) showrunners bad, and, like, them talking about it at Austin was just, like, atrocious. I was just like, stop. And I love the guys on script notes, but they were, like, defending them, and I had to skip it, because I was just like, stop, please stop, please stop. Witcher (laughs) is based on a book series. So the way that this whole thing is is that it is based on this Polish book series. There is a set of video games that are also based on the book series, except that the guy who wrote the books, whose name I definitely cannot pronounce, he when he sold CD Projekt Red, the company that develops and publishes the Witcher games, the rights to the game, like to make the games out of the books, he sold it to them at a flat value for very cheap. Because he was like, no one no one wants this, it's fine, who cares? And he's like, whatever, fucking go make your stupid video game, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and then, of course, Witcher became one of the greatest selling video games of all time, and Witcher 3 won Game of the Year the year it came out, and, like, became a huge fucking deal. Part of it is, like, based on the books, but then they also ended up doing, like, their own shit with it, so, like, when he tried to fight them on, like, hey, they were like, okay, but we also did our own shit, so, like, whatever. They were fine now. They, like, settled and, like, did all this shit. But this show is based on the books, so he's, like, involved and, like, is whatever, getting money, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, I'm sure he's much happier about that. However, the show is showrun by a woman, and you know what? Fuck it, you can tell, and it's great, and I fucking... We love stand. to see it. I have never been so attracted to... Henry Cavill. Yeah. Which is wild because, like, the test footage looked so bad. It looked really bad. I was extremely nervous for him. And then it came out and I was like, wow, actually, it works. It, it works. Fucks. And it looks good. And, like, they changed it because everyone was, like, bad. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're right, bad. Um, Yeah, he's so hot in this show and, like, quiet and gruff and, like, it's his own kind of hot. You're like, okay, I need cool. to watch it because that really goes right up my alley. Um, have you seen the Tumblr post that's like, what's his name from The Witcher is the perfect combination of Legolas and Aragorn? Because I read it and I fucking screamed. I was like, oh my he god. Is. It's so true. So his name is Geralt of Rivia, and I love him. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I've never loved a man more. Thank you. <laughs> Not I'm true, telling Pierce. But, oh my god. <sighs> he he would understand. <laughs> he loves The Witcher so much. You have no fucking idea. Anyway, it's shown by a woman. There's lots of, so like, there have been lots of articles about this because... There are so many female characters in this show, and there are so many interesting, well-defined female characters who are doing lots of, like, sometimes they're doing bad stuff, sometimes they're doing good stuff. But, like, they're all really, like, interesting, and, like, the things that I feel like D&D were trying to pretend like they were doing in Game of Thrones is what the woman who's showrunning The Witcher is actually doing for female characters in fantasy, we stand. We love to see it. It's so funny because, like, there's this pregnancy storyline that kind of happens because, like, a character, like, one of the main characters, like, can't get pregnant because of a thing she went through, so she's, like, desperate to fix it. Like, that's, like, a plot line for, like, a chunk of the episodes. And, like, at, when it started, I was like, hmm, I don't know if I like this. But yeah. it, like, works really well for me. And, like, the conclusion of it, I think works and I know that there's like they're also doing a like timeline thing where like it becomes clear in like maybe the second or third episode that like there are two timelines happening in the show that is not necessarily made clear in the pilot but I think actually works really well and I'm very excited to see what they're going to do with season two because now everybody's together what's next and today on the day we're recording it they're finally putting the fucking um soundtrack on spotify so you can listen to toss a coin to your witcher on spotify i'm kind of scared to watch it because i feel like that's gonna get in my brain forever 
Oh, it's in my brain. I could not stop singing it today. It is real. And I didn't even listen to it today. (laughs) Makes me want to, like, write and read more high fantasy. I know that, like, at this moment, I'm not actually going to, like, want to be doing it. But, like, Mm -hmm. in my brain, I'm like, hmm, can I trick myself into thinking that that is the kind of story I want right now? (laughs) My number one Mm -hmm. is Schitt's Creek. Iconic. I just started it. It's amazing. (laughs) Extremely unlike me because it's a half-hour comedy with five seasons that I binged in less than a month. Yeah, it was quick. You watched it very quick, especially for you. I, like, wanted to tape my eyelids open and just, like, watch it all the time. Like, it's so good. And I think, like, I love the first couple seasons, but it really hits its stride in seasons three and four. Like, that shit's incredible. And it's so funny because Dan Levy seems to be, like, perplexed as to why it hits off at that point. Um, But I think it's fairly obvious. Because isn't that when his, like, romantic interest gets introduced? Yeah. Like, Dan Levy, calm um, down. (laughs) That shit rules. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, that shit is incredible. And there is an episode in season four that I've probably watched, like, at least ten times since I watched the show, like, three months ago. I'm obsessed. Like, it's a, it's literally, to me, a perfect episode of television. Like, I would not change a single second of it. It is so good. I cannot wait for you to get to it. I don't even want to tell you what it is because I want to, like, have you organically get there and then we can discuss. But it's so good. And just, like, the progression of the characters from season one to season five, like, oh... It's so good. There is like one episode in season five that I think is like not good and they do something that I really very much do not like. But other than that, there's pretty much like nothing I would change about it other than just the fact that sometimes I can't handle the secondhand embarrassment of what's going on (laughs) on the screen. They keep hitting me with in the new season and I'm like, can y'all like give me a break? (laughs) I'm stressed. But like this is another show where like I feel incredibly represented by David because he has had like bad experiences and like whatever whatever and like he feels like in the beginning he's very closed off and very walled off and very much just like I'm judging everyone because everyone sucks. <laughs> His progression on the show is like so incredible and like uh 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 so good. Everything's good. Stevie's amazing. Like I love Alexis. I love, I love the whole family. Like the family bonds. Incredible. Like everything is good actually. (laughs) I love it. We stand a family that doesn't suck. There are a couple things that I'm so excited for you to get to but one of the things that I love the most about the show is that Dan Levy has been like I just decided that I'm not having homophobia in my show. I'm not gonna give them a voice. I'm not gonna give them like I'm not gonna give anyone who watches this show and like doesn't like gay people. I'm not gonna give them a character that like gives them a voice because I don't want them to have a voice. So we're not gonna, it's just not gonna be on my show. And like Catherine O'Hara has said like, the world of the show is beautiful and I hope that someday Dan Levy gets to live in it. And I'm like, excuse me while I cry for a hundred years about that. All right, let's move on to books because Emily has been reading this year and <laughs> last year, I guess, technically. I mean, both years. I'm so proud. Ah, uh, thank you. Um, My influence. I will claim credit. <laughs> you should claim credit because, because you telling me about one of my honorable mentions is the reason why I was, I was like, I gotta read that book. And then I was just like, I gotta read books. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just gonna wrap my two honorable mentions up together because they're... Me too. Oh my god. This, are they gonna be same the same? Brain. No, they're not gonna be the same books, but I was also about to be like, I want to put my honorable mentions together because they're like the same. Related. So my two honorable mentions are the first two books in Sierra Simone's Thorn Chapel series, which is A Lesson in Thorns and Feast of Sparks. So these are like romance erotica where the six main characters are all bisexual and like polyamorous and in it (laughs) there's like some kind of like cult magic sex stuff going on. Mm -hmm. It's just like Mm -hmm. a good romp, very good read. The main, mm-hmm. the main uh, set is like a polyamorous threesome. Love that. There is incest. So if you don't want that, don't worry about this book series. But I don't mind. <laughs> Luckily so for Emily, that is not a hurdle. <laughs> not a hurdle. Not a problem. Not a problem. So my honorable mentions are not as sexy, but follow the same lines. And that's about to get sad. Oh. <laughs> So my honorable mentions are You Too and In the Dream House. In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado, which actually came out in January, but I read it in 2018, so we're gonna, or 2019, so we're gonna count. These are both, You Too is um, a collection of essays on Me Too and rape culture and all that shit, how it sucks. And then In the Dream House is about Carmen Maria Machado's like experiences in a queer relationship with a woman who was abusive to her and like how bad that was which um can relate 
And these are both books that kind of made me, like, deal with some delayed trauma. When you slowly realize, like, almost 10 years after the fact that, like, someone is really bad to you. So anyways, uh, these are two books that I think are very strong reads, and if you can stomach them and deal with them, very good. If you can't, also fine. <laughs> My number three from this year is a graphic novel called Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. I love it. It's about a girl named... Fr First of all, I also thought that this book was not queer. I bought... When I bought this book, I bought it at Ripped Bodice, which is like one of my favorite bookstores in LA. They have... They do like the like blind date with, so they'll have like a little bit of info where it's like what trope it is. Um, if it's gay, it'll say like male male or female female. It'll tell you if it's like YA or if it's a comic. And then it just like has the trope basically. Or it's like, oh, if you like this thing, this book is for you. And you're like, okay, cool. So I picked it up because it was wrapped and it was like comic book, YA, female, female. I don't remember what the actual like tropey like, thing. I was like, Thank cool, you very I'm much. buying this. Thank you very much. And then I like sat in my car and I unwrapped it and I went, this book is gay? <laughs> like literally. <laughs> because on the cover, it is a very femme girl looking out and a very what I discovered was very like mask girl who I thought was a boy on the cover so I thought because it like it felt very like 500 days of summer like yeah. the title has that vibe so I thought that like the girl like Laura Dean was going to be the very femme girl on the cover but I was mistaken and I was glad to be mistaken <laughs> yeah so it's about this girl named Freddie who is gay and she is like out and about in her in her high school and her girlfriend Laura Dean keeps breaking up with her and getting back together with her and like kind of gaslighting her and like doing all this like manipulation like high school manipulation she's she's very like Shane from the L word where she's like kind of masculine like butchy and like mm -hmm. kind of just wants to fuck everybody so like you know and it's about Freddie as a character trying to figure out who she is without Laura Dean. How can she be someone who isn't Laura Dean's ex-girlfriend? When she's with Laura Dean, she's a bad friend. And how to rectify the relationships that being with Laura Dean has kind of wrecked in her life. And it's very good. And it's beautifully drawn. The art is gorgeous. I love it so much. And it was a very lovely read and I'm glad that I bought it. <laughs> and now it's with and you. And now it's with me. <laughs> <laughs> so my number three is This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Matar and Max Gladstone, which will be on your way and on its way to you soon. Yay, I need it so bad. It's incredible. It's an epistolary, I guess it's a novel even though it's like pretty short. I don't think it like technically qualifies to be a novella. It's like science fiction, but about as far into science fiction as I really want to go, wherein it does not explain the world to you, and it doesn't totally matter mm -hmm. if you don't get it. Like, it's fine, because the real thing is, like, there are two agents, spies, working on opposite sides of, like, trying to win the time war, and so, like, they enter different threads of time and try to stop the opposing side Ooh, through various means, and, like, I don't know time, anything like, about this book. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure some of the shit went over to my head like but it's fine because it doesn't matter what matters is like these two agents like slowly by writing letters to each other like falling in love and there are two women which we stand we stand it's just so good and like I've never read a book like it it's just the narration is incredible the two different characters is really really good and like I love not having to like try to understand the whole world around them and like it doesn't super matter whether you get like everything that happens from letter to letter like still hits you real good i'm so excited to read it my number two is the guinevere deception by kristen white i read this as like an e-arc and was so happy it was my first kristen white is it kirsten or kristen i think it's kristen is it not kirsten yes so it was my first of her books she's like a prolific YA author who I have like a six degrees of separation but it's actually like two degrees of separation from seeing her like speak a little bit because she was on a like a event panel with my friend Stephanie who's really good friends with her and I fucking loved this book so much it is a retelling of the Arthurian myth which I'm a hoe for it's my fave mm -hmm. And it is told through the perspective of Guinevere, who this is basically like a BBC Merlin type situation where in Camelot, King Arthur, like he's already king, which is like not quite BBC Merlin, but like 
He's already king, but they have banished magic from Camelot, which is the BBC Merlin aspect of it. And so Merlin has been kicked out of Camelot because Arthur has to maintain the kind of no fucking magic, okay, bye situation. (laughs) Basically, like, he fought a war and beat back a dark queen, essentially. And so, like, after that happened, they were like, okay, we're sealing the trees away, we're sealing all the magic away, and magic is leaving Camelot, and we're just gonna be. And so Guinevere is coming. She is raised by Merlin. She's taking the place of an actual Guinevere who has died, who like we don't really learn a lot about other than the fact that she was like in a nunnery. And so like she is coming to marry Arthur because something Merlin is like something bad is happening. Like something bad's gonna happen. So she's going because she has magic to protect King Arthur. She meets Mordred he is hot. She meets a Lancelot figure. She is hot. Hey. Hey. My favorite twist in the world because I fucking hate Lancelot as a character. And you know what? I love her. (laughs) I love her. And Arthur is great. Guinevere is wonderful. It's a really like action-packed but also small kind of story. The magic system I think works really well for me. It's not like overly complicated or overly weird but it like is intricate enough that like you know there's like thought process behind it it's not just like random things happening my favorite thing I follow her on Twitter and she's just wonderful and she's been like okay so here are the people who like I imagine as the three love interests in the Guinevere deception because there are three because that's right girl might be bisexual love that for us hey we stand and there are like oh the Tristan and Isolde like (gasps) girl her chambermaid I'm just going to spoil this. Sorry, if you want to skip ahead a little bit, I'm going to spoil this for Megan because she is never going to read this book. I will. But her chamber, like her chambermaid is gay and Tristan is there because he is one of the knights. And the reason that Tristan got kicked out is not because he was with Isolde, but because he was protecting her chambermaid because she was with Isolde. They did some gay shit and I love it. (laughs) Um, We don't have to stand on that because- We have to stand. I love that. I love it so much. As I was like, probably <gasps> one of the only people who liked that shitty Tristan and old movie, and that has that was formative media to me. I'm very into that. I it was the revelation was a revelation, truly. Yeah. Okay. So she was like, "Here are the three like people who are the love interests who I imagine." She was like, "I kind of based King Arthur off of Chris Pine, or not Chris Pine, Chris Evans." And I Either was like, one would be a win for me, yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> it was Chris Evans, and I was like. Ugh. I see it. It's perfect. It's great. Like, he's he's just, like, a Steve Rogers type. I love him. Okay. And then Mordred is very, like, Tom Hiddleston, of course. He's very hot Loki. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. I stand. I stand a hot Mordred. And then Lancelot, she was like, Mackenzie Davis. And I was like, you've spoken to me. Hello. <laughs> hello. You are speaking directly to me. Emily has logged into the chat and is like, hello. Hello. <laughs> Ma'am. Ma'am. <laughs> I'm here. Hello. Hello, I'm here. I have it as a e-arc and I'm probably going to buy a physical copy of it soon and that's just who I am. So, love this book. So, my number 2, Wilder Girls, which I still need to read. Power, I'm going to read it. Which coincidentally, soon. I had an e-arc of. Wilder Girls is about these girls who are on like on a remote island at the Raxter School for Girls and like the talks Suddenly the talks is happening on the island and like everyone's getting weird evolutions almost. Like one girl has a second spine, one of the girls like eyes closes shut. Got some real body horror-esque shit going on. Love it. No explanation as to like what caused it and essentially like they're basically quarantined and like the government has been like sending them shipments of things and like only some girls get to leave the school grounds and like go get the shipments with one of the teachers and come back shenanigans ensue and there's also like one of the main characters like realizes that she's like digging one of her friends who's a lady so that's fun and it's just basically that the girls being like the fuck is happening to us right now we need to find out and then you over the course of the book find out it's good stuff i can't wait i'm so excited it's incredible. It's, I think I'm gonna, I, I don't know if I'm gonna try to read it in February or March, but I think I'm gonna try to read it in the first, like, quarter of the year. I have I it right it. there. I just need to read it. So good. That cover. So our number one is 110% the same thing. The same. So, um, yeah. So let's just talk about Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, because... It's number one. It was number one. I literally have two physical copies of it right now. Like, it was number one. Like, nothing comes 
books. Like, I love the other books on my list, but, like, I didn't reread any of those. Yeah, true. I it literally came out in 2019 in the summer, and we both read it twice. Mm-hmm. And I've read it again since. Yeah, so. and you've read it again since. I'm about to reread it. I'm going to lend it to Patricia so she can reread it. She just read Song of Achilles, and I'm just like... I saw her Goodreads review, and I was like, get it, babe. Red, white, and royal blue. It is about Alex, who is the first son of the first female president of the United States in a 2016 that did not happen, but mm, (laughs) is a nice alternate reality. He goes from enemies to friends to lovers with the youngest prince from Wales, English Mm -hmm. prince. And it's great. It's adults, so there are sex scenes. It's like a new adulty romance. Mm-hmm. So there's sex scenes. There's lots of bisexuality. The coming out bisexuality section is just like the pinnacle of it. Which, you know what? It's because Casey McQuiston is bisexual. And I'm like, you know, you get it, girl. Because you get it. Yeah, and I actually, I'm almost done listening to her query episode. And her basically being like, I wrote coming out scenes <laughs> without having come out to my family. Oh my god, I know. I was like, and I like <gasps> manifested them. <laughs> which is incredible. And I just think, like, there's something about this book that, like, you can tell someone who gets it wrote it. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing where I'm like, I don't know that I've ever felt quite so represented in, like, this specific aspect of myself. So, like, as you can tell, my number ones and, like, my top scores in these are things that I'm like, I see myself in them. And whether <laughs> it's good or not, I can't say. But <laughs> who can say? I see it. <laughs> and this is one of the things where it's just like, I feel very represented in not only like how Alex figures out that he's bi, because I also had like, hold on, I like someone that I don't think makes any sense to me. And I have to like reconfigure my identity based on what I now have learned about myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> but also in just like, having a core friend group who like love and support you and like being able to talk about that kind of shit and like just like Ugh, we love it uh and I just think like this kind of like loving place that you can tell Casey McQuiston wrote this from like reads on the page so easily that it's like every time I reread it I'm like I'm like putting on a comfy sweater and just like enjoying my favorite piece of media yeah it's so readable and like even when like the tense like bad stuff is happening you're mm-hmm. like, yes, but Casey McQuiston's got me. Like, mm-hmm. I feel extreme, like, I, I trust her. Even when I was reading it for the first time, I was like, okay, but I trust her. Mm-hmm. I, know that she, I know that she wants this to be good. Like, she wants this to be a good, fun time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, it is. Even when it's, like, hard and even when it's sad. Yeah. And there are some, like, ruminations on grief and acceptance and family and, like, other people's expectations of you. I also just like, hey, Leo. Remember how we fucked around in high school? Was that gay? He's like, well, bud, it was gay for me, so I don't know what to tell you. Uh, (laughs) You know. (laughs) Okay, so that was Emily and Megan's uh, 2019 media. Mm -hmm. I hope that you enjoyed that. We don't know when we're coming back or as what or for what. It'll be a little while. Or figure that out, we'll let you know. We will talk to you guys at some point in the future. If you want to talk to us on Twitter and get a back and forth going, you can. I'm at Emily Mazer. And I am at Mountains March. And we will talk to you there. See you guys in the next podcast. Bye. Bye.